Okay, joining me for another round. It's been a while, but he's back by popular demand. My man, Jack Ferguson, all the way live from Thailand. What's happening, brother? Ah, pleasure to be back, bro. Thank you. It's uh, always great to talk to you guys. How you been? I've been doing really well, man. Honestly, the podcast has come a long way since we last spoke. Um, we are almost, I'm almost at 150 episodes. We surpassed more than 10,000 downloads. It's honestly, it's, it's growing and it's really nice that I'm really happy as well because you're one of the interviews that I got to do from overseas and the fact that you wanted to come back on for me, that's just, that's the best thing in the world, man. Uh, thank you, bro. I really appreciate it. I love coming on, having a chat. I watch all your, uh, all your stuff on Instagram too. Your reels are real funny. And um, yeah, some of the tips and stuff you do from your personal training side of things are, are super helpful. So yeah, it's always great to come and uh, catch up. I feel like it's been what, a year maybe, maybe just over a year since our last conversation. Actually thinking about, think about it, that yes, it was over, it was over a year. I mean, uh, I think it was back, <laughs> we spoke back in August shit mm. oh my god a lot a lot's happened in a year man a lot's happened um now i remember the last time we spoke i mean you're one of the very few people i know who literally lives a nomad dream uh living in thailand you know on your own training full time like no uh, known to uh, hectic responsibilities so man let's um we probably will have some new listeners for this episode so Give them a little bit of an unpacking on how you got there. Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's it's real interesting, bro. Like um I guess it's it's the different kind of lifestyle. Choose the life you don't need a holiday from, kind of thing, right? Like uh Hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, can you hear me, bro? Is your connection yeah, all good? Yeah, the connection's a bit, bit fuzzy, but yeah, I can still hear you. Oh, that's great. Sorry, bro, I mean to interrupt, but uh, yeah, it's it's the whole mentality of like, choose the life that you don't need a holiday from, you know, dictate everything in your life, control everything. So um, yeah, it's super interesting, bro. Like I love, uh, you know, being able to wake up and train and choose what I want to do for the day, study something. Uh, yeah, just sort of be the boss of your own life, I think is, uh, is important. And I think it's something that's developed a lot more with people during COVID. They realize they can work from home. They can be more selective with their career, perhaps. Do you think so? I, I do believe so. I mean, you know, I think it was this podcast actually started from COVID as well. Because when the pandemic was going down, people had a lot more time on their hands to think. And then that was when right. me and my mate decided, yeah, this is what we can do. And now two years down the track, a year from when, actually, when we had our last conversation a year ago, a few weeks later, he decided that he didn't want to continue on with the podcast anymore. And that was obviously his choice and I love him for it. And then it solely right. became my thing. But to reiterate, it did stem back from COVID, yeah. Uh, well, I wanted to ask you, man, since that last time we spoke, right, uh, a whole bunch of people were actually just uh, went out and asked me, like, how does he pay for everything? And I was like, I did not ask that. So what did you do actually for work, though? Do you coach at the gym or? Mm -hmm. 
Can you hear me? So, um, so that's the best thing is uh, I kind of work for myself in terms of like, um, I teach English sometimes online, sometimes uh, in person. Uh, I teach boxing, you know, like hold pads and coaching like privates at the gym and stuff like that. And um, they're like my two main sources of income, uh, obviously fighting sometimes too. But uh, yeah, it's more about like um, trying to divide my time between learning and developing new skills obviously working to make money and then fighting is obviously my main focus but um i think it's all about uh developing new skills and combining or compounding them together to make like the most beneficial part like um so like for myself when i was coaching and i was speaking english like it's great but i'm in thailand so now i can speak thai i can coach a wider audience so i can get more more customers for both learning English or learning boxing. So it's like uh, it's helping the skills that can compound with each other, I think is important. Oh, okay. So how is your Thai? Are you fluent now? Cool, cool. Mm -hmm. Like understandably, like I can understand almost everything and um. I can give like a coherent response. So maybe it's not perfect. You know, my sentence might not make like be perfectly fluid, but it's definitely understandable. Like I don't have any problems if I'm speaking Thai. Good man, good man. Now also um, before we started recording, you also mentioned that you were, meant, you were scheduled to have a fight next week. So uh, what was the story behind that? Uh, <laughs> It's a funny story, actually, bro. Um, so there's these two twins that live here in Bangkok also. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, these two French guys that live here in Bangkok also. And um, we've been sort of going back and forth for a while, for maybe like the last three years, scheduled to fight, COVID happened, everything like that. And um, yeah, finally got them all scheduled. Lost a lot of weight got like in fight shape and then um i posted a picture on last friday i was looking quite strong like fight camp and he messaged the promoter and was like nah nah he looks too strong i don't want to fight so i mean what can you do <laughs> wow all that out of just all that just from an instagram post that's that's i've never heard before okay fair enough but uh yeah. since then i mean uh yeah sorry you were saying I was just going to say, like, uh, I guess I won the fight without having to fight, right? Like, that's like the everywhere else that would be the ideal scenario. But I was looking forward to fighting. So, kind of disappointing. Oh, I see. I see. And do you have anything scheduled uh, before the end of the year or are you still in training mode? So, um, there's a couple of fights that I'm keeping a very close eye on that are coming up. Um, Aaron Toe versus Paul Logan is uh, one I'm watching very intently just because Aaron has the New Zealand title. And uh, I'm planning to go back to New Zealand in November. I know they have a big card there. They're looking for a main event. So um, entirely depending on Aaron, if he feels good, if he's comfortable, if he's looking for a quick turnaround, if he's not injured, I'd like to fight Aaron Toe for his belt. Um, 
it's being discussed, but it's hard to plan when he has a fight scheduled to see if I can, if it will all line up. So um, hopefully I'll be on the XFC card in Dunedin in December, but uh, we have to wait until until we have all the information. Fair enough, fair enough. Because uh, what is it? <clears throat> right, I mean, in Thailand and all that, despite everything that's going down and the COVID situation, and uh, I wanted to ask you, like when we were speaking last time, what is the COVID situation right now? Is it completely open borders? Are you still wearing masks? Do you need vaccine to travel? What's the story? As far as I'm aware, it's pretty much back to normal. Um, like they recommend wearing a mask, but it's not compulsory. And um, like you may need to be vaccinated, but I'm not sure. Like you don't need a PCR test before you arrive to the airport or anything like that. I think you can just show up as far as I'm aware. So um, it's almost back to normal. Oh, I good. see. Yeah, that's great to hear. I think Australia's... Yeah, Australia's back pretty much. Uh, we had a weird, like, uh, in Perth specifically, we've had, like, a weird, like, past couple of months. Our government had, like, an emergency cabinet meeting where they thought that they were going to pull, they thought they were going to bring back uh, masks or restrictions, but nothing ever came out of it. Um, we are, there are still cases going around, but as far as I'm concerned, pretty much everything is back to normal, but the damage is, like, still done. Like, a lot of businesses have struggled, a lot of businesses were closed down uh it is what it is right now I and mean, pretty much everyone's on a regrowth but as far as i'm concerned like COVID's now a thing of the past right yeah so it's not it's no worries yeah. at all coming out of that yeah um now the next thing i wanted to ask you about was a little bit about your training and like what's new since uh we spoke last time i remember last time you were telling me that um you had been focusing a lot on your wrestling a lot on your jiu-jitsu as well mm-hmm. and one of the things we discussed was that you don't you don't really often use the gi or don't often train in the gi uh mainly because of right. the context uh has anything changed since then <laughs> that's a that's a great question bro so um i have very mixed feelings about the gi uh, I think it mm, could partially be like, um, I guess perhaps an ego thing for myself. Like um, I'm very good at no gi. And then when I roll with someone who's probably not as good as me, but they use the gi more, they can catch me. So I get kind of pissed. I don't like it, you know, like uh, kind of like this. I'll always be biased towards no gi because I'm better at no gi. Um, and having that kind of bias, I think it's easy to justify the fact that we don't fight in a gi, and so therefore it's not as relevant. Like, uh, I always love joking around being like, oh, you're going to pull my hair, you know, like, or well, you're my little brother holding on to my clothes. <laughs> like, it's easy to make fun of the gi. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily as beneficial as training no gi with gloves on if you're preparing strictly for MMA, but the gi is great for, uh, in terms of like, when you're learning jujitsu, I think it's important to learn in the gi to begin with at least, because it slows it down and it makes it more uh, controllable. Like if you're just like a really powerful athletic guy and you only do no gi, but you're probably gonna beat everyone, you know? But uh, 
But if you're like a smaller, skinnier guy and you're using the gi and you're getting used to it, uh, I think it's better to slow it down and learn the technique so you're not just going to be crushed by everyone. Correct, correct. Because I've spoken to a whole bunch of uh, like, uh, BJJ, BJJ black belts on the show before, and they've been telling me a lot. There's been a massive exodus to uh, no gi, mainly, well, one of three reasons. One, they tell me mm -hmm. because the gi is expensive, which they're not wrong about. Uh, mm. Number two, uh, believe it or not, mm. uh, most injuries actually come out of the gi than the no gi. That was one thing I learned as well, because right. people... They say that people are more likely to try and attack, uh, attempt uh, more riskier, um, more riskier submissions, and also more likely to get caught. You know, like get their arm caught, mm. get their lapel caught. Mm -hmm. And then the third one they say is just uh, the feeling of the gi and all that. It's heavy over time, so it's more right. obviously being more technical. It's been told it's been it's been a fast man's game. But anyway, so moving on from that. Uh, you're one of those people I know as well uh, who's always posting books on his story. So that's one part I wanted to get into as well. And with training and everything, obviously, so you have a full-on schedule. So like, how do you like plan out your day and how do you plan out your weeks? Like, uh, like how do I put aside time for, for reading or something like this? Of course. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't consider it to be a chore. I think that's the big thing where it's like um, a lot of people try to read a book that they've been told to read and they're not necessarily interested in. So it becomes a chore. You're like, oh, fuck, I got to read. You know, like it's difficult because you don't enjoy it. You know, I choose books that I'm interested about that I want to learn. And um, I almost get like, oh, I want to finish this page, you know, I want to finish this chapter or something like this. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, the one excuse that I never buy into is time. Anyone that says I don't have enough time is they're full of shit. Like, everyone has the same 24 hours, you know? Like, uh, yeah, even if you sleep eight hours and you work eight hours, you still got eight hours of time to do something. So if you can't read a book for 20 minutes but you're on Instagram or you're on Facebook or you're, you've got time. You know what I mean? Um, uh, main time I like to read is right before bed. So I'll lay in bed, read a little bit, sort of get my eyes tired and then give me something to think about while I go to sleep. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just, it's a hobby for me. It's maybe not a hobby for everyone or maybe they haven't found the right books that they like reading, but um because you read a lot too, right? Like you've recommended a couple of books to me. Uh, when do you normally read? I always read uh, on my lunch break or usually first thing before my first client. Uh, so for me, I'm actually been listening to a lot more audiobooks lately um, because I'm, I've spent a lot of time driving and I spent a lot of time was at my desk, a fair bit of time at my desk. So I've always like found Audible. Uh, right. In terms of like what you were saying earlier on about like things you have to be interested in, 100% agree. Are you someone who, let's say you're reading a book and about halfway through you get bored, do you keep reading or do you just put the book down? That's a great thing. So sometimes I'll take a break or like, uh, like I don't read, I don't often read a book 
one book completely to the end and then start another book. Like, like you said, sometimes if I get kind of bored or I've read a few chapters of this and I'm curious about something else or like, um, like quite often I'll have a, like a book that I'm reading and I'll go like, oh, I've got a, like a, I got a meeting tomorrow. I need to know more about sales. Okay. I'm going to put this down and grab a book on sales and read that for a bit. Or, you know, like, um, I don't think you have to read every book right to the end before starting another book. And I don't think you have to, uh, like there's some parts like, you know, it'll be like the introduction to the book and it's like a life story of the author before you read it. And I'm like, sorry, bro, but I don't care what you had for breakfast that day. I'm trying to learn. <laughs> I'm trying to learn what you say, you know? So um, I don't think you have to read every single part of a book to get the best out of it. But um, yeah, I, I try and make sure that I'm still enjoying it because if I get bored, you get demotivated, you know? Correct, correct. I have one of those, but I have always always said, if you're, depends on what you're reading for, let's say, for example, if you're reading like this completely fiction, like Stephen King or George R. Martin, Game of Thrones, whatever, then you don't really need to be paying too much attention to it. But if you're reading something, like you said, about a book on sales, you need to make sure you're actually paying attention to what you're reading. Like, have you ever had a situation where you'll read a page and then you drift off and then you think to yourself, like, what was I reading about again? And then you had to reread it. <laughs> yeah I've, I've done that so many times like i'll start getting hungry and i'll be like reading through and i'll be like oh, i'm gonna have this for dinner and oh shit i have to go back like two or three pages you know but um i think that's the thing about trying to read like with intent you know reading not just for the sake of reading but reading for the benefit of reading perhaps and yeah and in regards to reading multiple books as well, uh, if I have to read multiple books and all that, I'll make sure one is completely fiction and one is nonfiction. So obviously mm. reading a storybook is a lot more easy to follow. And, and it's got to be at a point where I don't require as much willpower, like at in the evening before bed, like I said. But if it's like first thing in the morning where you're fresh and you actually do want to learn as well, that's when you can leave something like nonfiction. Uh, mm. what, I was just actually wondering, what are you currently uh, reading at the moment? Uh, I just finished um, The Richest Man in Babylon, which is really oh, interesting. I keep seeing that around. What is that even about, like, other than the obvious title? <laughs> it's really cool, bro. It's about um, pretty much wealth principles that have been around since ancient Babylon, you know? So, like, rules like always save 10% of your income, uh, try and invest when you can, don't get into bad debt, things like that. But it's just like um, the stories based around the principles that are told in the book are really interesting. And um, I actually found it really easy to soak in the information because it's written in Old English. So I have to really think about what they're saying. So like, it'll be like, oh, dost thou not haveth thy something, something, you know? But so I'm like, mm, I have to really think about, you know, to comprehend what they're saying because it makes sense but it's not like lazy english you know i have to really focus on it so i found that i soaked up a lot of the uh information just from that because i had to pay attention which um which was really interesting wow because hmm. when it comes to like um have you ever had like what's i gonna say there's certain old books that everyone like recommends 
as well that mm-hmm. oh you're gonna try this and try this but then you read it and it's like not much out of it like what i'm currently trying to read right now is the four hour work week i'm pretty sure you might be familiar mm-hmm. with that one so right. many people i know have read it but i'm about 40 pages into it and i haven't learned a damn thing about it i'm like this is this could be like <laughs> you ever read something it's like that big and you feel like it's actually got two points it can actually only be like that big it would like be save everyone's time so much so that being said, I had an argument with someone who I know who about this website that I follow called Shortform. By the way, if you're not subscribed to this website, I highly recommend it. Where what it does mm-hmm. is it takes really big, complex books for you and it breaks it down into really like 10 pages or less, pretty much. Right. Like, for example, um, well, what's a good one? Like the Miyoto Masashi's The Book of Five Rings. That book's mm-hmm. like over 500 pages long. They condensed it down into like 20 pages. And then I pretty much learned the entire thing through. So mm-hmm. obviously for the sake of enjoyment, I definitely uh, definitely recommend that website. Anyway, so moving on from there, uh, one thing I also wanted to ask you, uh, speak to you about is that up and coming right now is uh, UFC. We have a UFC card this weekend. And mm-hmm. since obviously you're fighting yourself, uh what's your take on Usman versus uh was Leon Edwards? Mm. That's very interesting. I feel like uh I feel like Leon Edwards might be more of a dynamic striker. Um as opposed to from what I've seen of Usman, like he can strike, but he mainly just likes wrestling against the fence and sort of overpowering you, like imposing his will sort of thing. So um I haven't watched much of Leon Edwards' fights, but I've seen, like, he's got a lot. He relies probably more heavily on his striking than than perhaps his grappling, from what I've seen. Um, that's a very good point. I feel like it's hard to bet against someone like Usman now just because he's been at the top for so long that it's sort of easier to favor him. Uh, I wonder, I'm curious, do you know what the betting odds are on the fight? Uh, they're definitely swaying towards Usman, but they're not they're not huge. It's not like it what it was against Marzadol too, where I think it was like the odds for Usman were like minus one twenty or something, and then the odds for uh, Marzadol to win were like uh, plus four hundred, which is which is huge. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think about uh, Hamzad versus Nate Diaz? This is like a controversial fight, like uh, just the match of it. What do you think? I think Nate Diaz, like, if this doesn't stop him, I mean, uh, I I love him, but you're you're literally sending him into a firing squad. It's funny because I actually had a conversation with um, Jack about uh, Jack about this. Like, Nate wants to go off and do other things, which is good, mm. which I'm sure he should be able to. But uh, uh, obviously, Dana White doesn't let doesn't like that idea, and he's still under contract. Mm. And he's like, ask for all these fights, apparently, according to him. And he said no. So they're giving him the worst possible matchup to, like, decrease his credibility. So when he leaves, like, no one's going to want him anymore. I think Diaz is, I think this is, I think this is the one fight that Diaz, like, will absolutely get massacred. Shut, because, what is it? Hamza Chumai have just beat Gilbert Burns not that long ago. And mm-hmm. this is the type of dude who's been double booked. <laughs> so uh-huh. what do you think? It's uh, uh, Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like it's a bit of a smack in the face from Dana, right? 
he's like, oh, you, oh, you want a flight? Oh, here's a flight. And he knows that next, uh, Nate's not going to turn it down. So, um, yeah, I think you're exactly right. He's trying to devalue or decredit him as much as possible before he, before he leaves. Because he's, he's lost a lot of fights in a row already, you know. I think if they were really trying to help Nate out to get a fight, they'd do the Connor rematch, just purely out of the money. Especially Connor's like a little heavier now, so it'd be 170. And by the look of it, Connor's just been like doing coke and hanging out on his yacht. Like, <laughs> I feel like it's probably the best fight for, for Nate. Whereas, uh, yeah, this Hamza is just, that's a whole different ball game. I honestly feel like uh, what's good for Conor McGregor, he's become more and more of a personality and a celebrity than a fighter. Right. Just by watching his Instagram stories, dude, he's like partying up in Ibiza and then like mm-hmm. someone apparently threw a hat at him and he like stomped on it and all that shit. Uh, <laughs> I find it funny that he's going to be one of the stars of Roadhouse, the the remaking of Roadhouse, the movie, he's going to be one of the main characters, which is uh, uh, which is interesting because now he's just going to be like, he's playing himself in the movie. He's going to just be like punching people in the bar, but as an actor, <laughs> like it's kind of like what he does anyway. So I think he'll do good in the movie. What do you think? I think, I think he will actually, look, I would, you, I would be surprised. I don't, sorry, I wouldn't be that surprised if he does a good job because this thing, we can agree his best days are long, long behind him, gone. Like, you will never be as solid as he was at 145 fighting in featherweight. When he was featherweight, that was like peak, peak Connor to me. Now that time's gone on and he hasn't won in a while, he's got that celebrity status where he can, whatever he goes into, he will draw attention to. Like, say, for example, his whiskey business, Proper 12, he sold that for a ridiculous amount of money. He's got into the fashion business, uh, McGregor Fast or whatever it's called, August or whatever. Insane amount of money. Like everything right. he's going into is killing it. And I feel like that's why I mean he's turning less of into a fighter and more of a celebrity. So if he goes into acting business, I wouldn't be su- I wouldn't be that surprised if he does a good job because his name's such a big draw now. So yeah. What do you think about the the difference between organizations, for example, the UFC have come out and said that they don't want any more. They're not going to focus on creating superstars because of what happened with Connor and stuff. They're not going to promote each athlete individually. They're going to promote the UFC as a whole. Whereas in one FC uh, here in Asia, every like top one FC star, they promote them. They make entire documentaries just about the one fighter and they advertise the fighter more than the actual event. What do you think is the what do you think is better or what do you think about the difference between organizations like that? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Um the, let me think for a second. In regards to the 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 UFC as a whole, I mean I think it's Well, at the end of the day, it is a business, it's a choice. And I feel like they just want to grow the brand itself more. So mm-hmm. I can understand where that's come from, considering I work in the UFC gym. But I, I do I do get where they're coming from in that. How, however, um, I, I honestly believe one championship is more and more quickly becoming a better competition to the UFC. 
because mm. it's no longer just about MMA. It's now turning into Muay Thai. Like they got Rod Tang and they got um, was it was it Bukow or San Chi? They um, they just got contracted. Uh, I'm not sure. Actually, uh, our gym runs BKFC, bro. Um, mm-hmm. And we just signed Sanchai and Bokao to BKFC. We signed that, both That's it. So, uh, that's it. Sorry, bare knuckle. My bad. Um, <laughs> what I'm trying to get with this as well <laughs> is one, one Championships is steering away from just being MMA. You know, it's now becoming grappling. Mm-hmm. Like they had Gary Tonin go up against uh, the uh, Rotolo brothers, you know. You're seeing, yeah, we're also seeing, um, where is it, Mikey, uh, I forget his last name, but he's a great one, Mikey Mukasi. He's a grappling superstar. He went over to one championship and beat Iminari, you know. Like that's drawing more and more people from different disciplines to one championship. So whatever they're doing right now, I love it, you know. Uh, so I feel, what I feel like personally is they're trying to just create their own thing. They don't want to be in competition uh, with the UFC. They want to branch out and do something completely different. Because if you can think about it, like in terms of MMA promotion, like Uf- the UFC is the biggest one. And there is a lack, like there's a big gap between them and second place. Right. Yeah. Mm. yeah I also think it's like... Um they're they're not they're never going to overtake ufc in terms of mma but they can like surround them you know what i mean because they're absorbing all the best fighters from glory all the adcc guys for all the grappling and stuff so it's definitely different and um they're branching out into the us which is a scary thing they just did a big press conference in vegas they're gonna get um like a lot of people over they're gonna start doing shows in the us too I think one of the best things that they do in one is they, it's like, uh, they don't just have different weight champions, but they have different sport champions. So for example, Stamp Vertex, she was like a, a two sport world champion. So she had Muay Thai and the kickboxing belt. So that's very different than being like, I'm the featherweight champ. It's like, I'm the best in the world at Muay Thai and MMA or mm-hmm. Muay Thai and kickboxing. You know, so I think that's a very big difference in terms of like selling the fighters or something like this and um, promoting each fighter individually as a superstar, as opposed to come watch our show because we're the best show we have instead of like we have the best fighters. Do you think so? Mm -hmm. I actually honestly believe that in terms of one championship as well, it's so much more about the actual fighting itself than sometimes the UFC Mm. like whenever I'm watching a UFC card, it's all, it's, it, they turned it more and more into a, mainly a production. If you think about it, like if you pay attention to the UFC card, how many times do you hear about an advertisement, mm-hmm. see an advertisement, try and then endorse a product? It's, their canvas is right. actually like filled with all that sort of stuff. But in one championship, it's different. It's more actually about the fight itself. And I honestly believe what they do to protect the fighters is so much more like where they say they fight at their natural weight class with the hydration right. tests, which I can barely find any information about. And they, they have a different rule set. Like they can have knees to a ground opponent. That was one of the most controversial rules in UFC as well. They allow the 12 to 6 right. elbow. Like there's a whole bunch of different things that they're doing that's very different to the UFC. So, I mean, hats and, off to um, them for that. 
they they also score the fight in its entirety. They don't go round by round. So oh. in the UFC, in the UFC, a lot of guys like oh, I got thirty seconds, shoot for a takedown, hold it, and then stand up. Okay, I won that round because of the takedown. But in one, it's not like that. They score on damage and they score the fight in its entirety. Well, I respect that because the ten the um, the boxing point system is probably mm. one of the biggest uh, controversies in UFC mm-hmm. because there's been quite a few times now where the fighter has felt robbed because mm. of that point scoring system. And so it's quite subjective and not even that, but the people who they use to score the fights themselves aren't even fighters. So mm. that's, that's one of the main things. Uh, but there was one thing I wanted to ask you because <coughs> you mentioned about Borkow and Senchi moving over to bare knuckle fight, uh, bare knuckle boxing. What's your take on that? Do you think this is a good move or do you think this is good for the fighters or do you think it's a bit of a club distance stunt? So I think BKFC is quickly becoming, it's like the next fastest growing sport. You know, it was MMA a long time ago. Now MMA is sort of more solidified. And I think BKFC is really coming up, really starting to take over. Um, I've been at the last two events and um, the production value and everything's really good. I think it's, mm, they've had so many fights, you know, I think um, Borkal is like 250 and 22 is his record so um yeah it's (laughs) it's not like he's lacking any experience i think sanchez is very similar perhaps he has more um i actually very very lucky they come through our gym quite regularly in 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 bangkok because we're in thailand so um i actually live with sanchez coach for like last time i was speaking with you i was living with sanchez coach which is really cool but um i think they're their move to BKFC is exciting, bro. It's sort of transitioning, like, uh, how can, like, how can you transition between sports? You know, um, they've fought no gloves before, like Lethway, for example, and things like this. So, um, yeah, the thing about BKFC is they incorporate a bit of clinch too. You're allowed one hand in the clinch, so it's boxing, but I can grab the back of your head. I can have an underhook. I can have a whizzer. Uh, I can like grab your hip and you know punch with one hand. So. I think that will favor some of the Muay Thai guys a little more than perhaps just the strictly boxers. And um, of course you can't block punches like here because it's bare knuckle. You're just going to get your own hand hit into your face sort of thing. Hmm. What do you think? Like, uh, I love it. In terms of changing rules here. I love, I love that bare knuckle uh, boxing is becoming so much more popular because it's gone from literally being an underground sport. Like my dad, used to tell me stories of when he would go to those unlicensed boxing unlicensed boxing events <laughs> and they would get fucking rowdy. I'm not, obviously it wasn't competing, mm. but he would go there to watch and it was like, it became something like, it was so underground and just to go there, it was like, oh my God, I can't believe witnessing this. And now to see it on a bigger stage, I fucking love it. I mean, because, but, but like uh, the, the other main thing I love about it as well is that they are taking stars who or used to be stars from other organizations and making them even bigger than they were. Like they took Paige Paige Van Zandt from UFC, made us huge. They took Julian Lane, made him massive. They took Platinum Mike Perry, 
fucking hell, they put him in a war against Julian Lane. And I reckon that was one of the best bare knuckle boxing matches I've ever seen. And that was just an ent- it's a very entertaining sport. But the problem with the, the bare knuckle boxing is that it's not something definitely for everyone. It's the next step up for hardcore fight fans. It's like um, right. I'm not I'm not sure if you watch uh, wrestling like WWE wrestling, mm-hmm. but in right. terms of like extremeness, you got the WWE, which is like a family friendly product, which is like the UFC. <laughs> uh-huh. You know what I mean? And then the step mm-hmm. up from WWE is AEW, which stands for All Elite Wrestling. But in AEW, right. they they do more things like street fights with tables, ladders, and chairs. There's more blood. Mm-hmm. There's more violence. You get where I'm going with this? So right. yeah. So it, it's, 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 but I think it's awesome. Anyway, um, Jack, I, we just need to quickly take a quick, uh, quick break. Um, Zoom's telling me I've only got a minute left. I'm going to send you a new link in a second. All right, mate? Oh, cool. Okay, bro. Sounds good. No problem. See you in a bit. Okay. Man's back. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, yes. Bare knuckle boxing. Uh, where do you think they're going right now? in terms of competition because they are their own individual thing but how do you think they're going to make themselves right. more popular there's a lack of competition to compete with mm-hmm. uh, that's a great question where they're going i feel like as you mentioned before it's definitely more of a niche market um i feel like it's more of the the pure fight fans as opposed to uh you know, like some people watch UFC because they like Stylebender or they just like Connor or, but I feel like people watch BKFC because they like actual fighting. They like the the idea, like the violence or the, the spectacle that fighting creates perhaps. Um, I think you're right in terms of like competition. There's not much aside from them, but uh, a big thing that we're doing with BKFC here in Bangkok, uh, when I say me, I mean like our gym, is uh, we host a lot of like, like press conferences. Um, you know, they're doing more promotional things outside of the, so they're not just showing fight highlights. They're showing like, uh, we had Borkhal at the mall talking about it. Um, you know, just doing like more promotional stuff, I guess, as opposed to, uh, as opposed to just fighting or just promoting. But um, I think it's something that a lot of athletes need to develop or, perhaps um take more notice of do you think so like um i think a lot of fighters focus almost solely on fighting which is mostly like which is the most important part but you also have to promote and advertise like advertise yourself too right like um because i feel like fighting is becoming uh, exactly that more of a it's more it's becoming more entertainment than it is just fighting so like uh you'll see things like connor or style bender you know he's always walking out dancing and stuff and he's they're promoting themselves and that's why they're the biggest guys in the sport whereas they may not even necessarily be the best fighter but they're the most entertaining they're the most well-known so they get paid the most do you think so i understand i feel like they need to focus on what first they're a fighter second they're a businessman slash woman because those are the ones who who are very very independent like let's say for example this i'm just going to use Paige as an example because she does it so well like like it or not she has an only fans account 
and she makes a shitload of money off it. And one of the biggest complaints that she had was like, holy crap, I'm making more money off OnlyFans than being in the UFC. And that's telling me something, you know what I mean? Right. So they have to be like fighters first and businessmen second. But when they dabble into the business ventures, they have to balance that and actually being a fighter. Like what, what happened to Ronda Rousey? Ronda Rousey was like a perfect example. She was in movies. She was in magazines. She was in TV shows. She was on like, she, everyone was hearing about it and she marketed herself really, really well. But I feel like that was what kind of got in her way. And that's what um, was a reason one of her falls from grace. But she was making so much money off all that sort of stuff. She wasn't worried about what she was getting paid in the UFC. She, she was yeah. fighting because she loved it. And I feel like that's one thing they, um, a lot, so what happens with a lot of UFC fighters, like I honestly believe that's why they can't keep going. It's because of the pay and it's because they right. kind of don't know how to market themselves. Um, and another really good way to put, bring it down is, uh, what's his name? Luke Rockhold. He mm-hmm. just got off the press conference and he was um, criticizing the UFC that there's a lack of pay and a lack of uh, healthcare. Um, mm-hmm. And that comes down to those types of people who focus just solely on the pure fighting aspect. And again, right. that's, that's where it's, uh, where it's going. Um, do I like it? No, but mm-hmm. at the same time, that's, that's unfortunately the truth. You have to be better business. If you're going to be a top fighter, you have to also be uh, not as good as a businessman, but cl- pretty darn close to it. If you want to at least make more money than what everyone else is making really. I feel like you have to be business orientated. Uh, maybe not like, as you said, not a full-time businessman, but you have to understand the business that you're in, which is entertainment. Um, I think the big thing is, bro, is like, um, yeah, like you said, Ronda Rousey, she mentioned it well. They asked, um, there was a, uh, she was at a press conference when she was fighting, when she was like the biggest thing in the world, when it was her and Connor there. And they were asking her like, oh, what do you think about women pay compared to men being paid in UFC? And she's like, well, you get paid for the revenue that you generate. And she's like, I get paid well because I'm generating a lot of revenue. And that's not necessarily like a man versus woman thing. It's like, a, well, Connor gets paid more because he brings more people, you know, or Izzy gets paid more because he brings more people. So I think like uh, there is a lot of people complain about fighter pay. And it obviously can be improved, but it's a two-way street. There's people that can improve their their sellability to improve their pay. And um, the way it was explained to me, bro, is you don't make money from fighting. You make money from being the fighter. You know what I mean? Like, like if Connor was just some dude and he wasn't in the UFC, he wouldn't be in movies, bro. He wouldn't have whiskey companies. And, like, he makes all this money from being Connor McGregor. And obviously the money comes from fighting to begin with, and that's what keeps him relevant. But now, as you said uh, previously, he's such a big name now that he's Conor McGregor that he can make, he can, he could start up any company tomorrow and it would be popular because he's such a big person. So I think it's definitely like a market, uh, marketability aspect that people have to focus on too. Correct. And now to play devil's advocate as well we've got the situation um where the fighters they don't want to do that they why should they have to be businessmen when they uh-huh. they're there solely for the purpose of fighting and then i think that's right. also the reason why we have um the ufc has that class action lawsuit against them 
also regarding um, Francis Ngannou because right. Francis Ngannou has complained about the, the fighter pay and in the bullying tactics. Mm -hmm. And that's why he hasn't fought since Cyril Garn. Right. And also um, he himself is a bit of a draw of a name because let's say, for example, uh, when Tyson Fury had his last fight, he put Francis Ngannou in the ring and then mm. he wanted to put him in a boxing match. And that is mm. huge. That would have made so mm. much, I reckon that would make so much money as well. But Dana White doesn't like that. He doesn't want that unless yes. he gets a cut himself. So right. that's the main thing where I'm going with this. Like uh, Francis Ngannou doesn't, he's, no, he's not in movies, he's not in magazines, he's not... Like considered business savvy, but he just wants to be a fighter and make money off fighting. But he's a right. big enough draw. Get where I'm going? Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, I feel like, as you said, back in the day when UFC was first coming up, it was based entirely on who's the best fighter and entirely on who's the toughest guy. It doesn't matter if you're marketable or not. But as UFC is becoming more mainstream, like, um, like people are not watching UFC just for the just for the fun of watching a fight anymore. They're watching it for the they want to go to the bar with their friends because Connor's fighting and stuff like this. So yeah, I totally agree that being the best fighter should be should, should classify you as being the best paid. If you're the champ, you should be getting paid more than someone who's not. But yeah, I definitely think that there's things you can do to generate your own income too. You know, I think the biggest thing is sponsors. The UFC took sponsors away, and that's a huge, huge pay cut. Like, George St. Pierre was getting $800,000 every fight from Under Armour. That's just one sponsor. You know wow. Yeah. I didn't know he was getting that much money from them. Yeah. That's a lot. Every fight, bro. So that's like three or four a year for a long time. And they're like, oh, no, Reebok's going to give you five grand. And he's like, what the hell? Like, uh, I think it's, it's very strange. But... um. Yeah, I think it comes down to using your your name as being the fighter to market and sell other things, perhaps. Yeah, I remember those days when back when fighters they lost all their sponsors and they used to put all their sponsors on their shorts and on the banners behind them, and then Reebok came in and sort of like took that all away. And a lot of fighters right. weren't really happy about that because then they lost a lot of their own revenue. Mm -hmm. um, but you do also see like fighters trying to go for drastic things really to get paid. Like there was uh, the meme about Justin Gagey and Trojan condoms. Mm. I remember that one. Uh, that was <laughs> like protect yourself at all times, da, 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 whatever. I mean, so they, they will go through drastic ways, obviously, to get paid. Um, anyway, I wanted to circle back uh, to bare knuckle boxing um, just because we brought that up. Right. For, you mentioned earlier that your gym's promoting the bare knuckle fight club. Is this something that you personally want to get yourself involved in or do you just want to stick to MMA? Mm, that's a great question. I, uh, I haven't really thought about fighting BKFC. Um, I feel like right now it's better for me to focus on, on MMA. Uh, I feel like BKFC is so brutal. The fact that there's no gloves and everything and like, you're going to injure your hands, you're going to get cut, you're going to get hurt i feel like uh it's something that it's very difficult to go between sports like it's very difficult to you know be doing wrestling eight sessions a week and then go on box and it's like against someone who's only boxing is only doing 
bare knuckle boxing training, I think it's very difficult to cross over between like the peak of two sports, you know? So, um, I mean, I'm not going to say no right now, but it, I wouldn't consider it a priority. Oh, cool. Of course, man. Now, uh, the next thing I also wanted to ask you as well is like, um, what's, what's your schedule like weekly in terms of like training? Like, what are you doing right now from Monday to Sunday? Right. So, um, we train, uh, minimum is like twice a day, six days a week. So we'll train, uh, usually every morning is like, uh, grappling and, you know, MMA uh, cage drills and wrestling and stuff like this, like MMA based grappling. And then every afternoon is like boxing or Muay Thai, striking, uh, sometimes do gi, <laughs> not very often, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty like a even split. I try to spar only once or twice a week. I think, um, sometimes like I know people that spar every single day and mm, I think it's, I think there's a fine line to a point where it becomes detrimental to training because you're going to get like a sore ankle or something or something and you can't like, you know, it sort of takes away from some of your other training perhaps. So I try and spar like once or twice a week and um, everything else is just grappling and striking like pads and stuff like this. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, in regards to things like nutrition or that, someone wanted to ask you like, how do you get your nutrition? Uh, how do you get your nutrition in considering like you're in, Thailand half the time and you're surrounded constantly by street food and all that. Like, how do you, how right. do you work your way around that? Uh-huh. So, uh, so I'm a terrible cook, bro. So, <laughs> so I, I don't think I've cooked ever since I've been here in Thailand because it's so cheap just to buy food. Um, we're really lucky. We've got a, a local restaurant, like a Thai food restaurant right around the corner. And um, we just ask uh, her name's Pile. We just ask her, for any like specific requirements that we have, I'll be like, look, I need a lot of chicken breasts some vegetables, a little bit of rice, or I'm cutting weight or I'm not. And she's not like a nutritionist, but she understands, you know, she's been around fighting a long time and you just tell her like, oh, I'm losing weight. I need to eat this and this and she can cook it for you. So um, pretty, I'm pretty lucky in that regard. Uh, in terms of nutrition, if I'm not fighting and losing weight, like, uh, I still eat pretty healthy, but I'm not going to like exclude pizza or something occasionally, you know, I'm not like a real strict diet guy unless I'm dieting to lose weight. But um, yeah, I don't really do any like supplements or anything either, like some fish oils and some zinc. But uh, in terms of like creatine or protein or something, I don't really do it that much. Really? Not at all? Wow. Mm. I, uh... I find I get a lot of... I get quite like pimply. Like if I drink a lot of protein, I get like pimples and then that can turn into like a staph infection or something kind of easy because it's so humid here in Thailand that I'm like, ah, I'll just BCA sometimes, but everything else, not really. Staph infections ain't great. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I've seen quite a few of those around in my time. I'm like, no, thank you. Uh, and like, what do you do like now in terms of like recovery, considering that Thailand is quite humid most of the time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think uh, a really big difference is um, it takes a long time to rehydrate after training compared to training back home in New Zealand. Cause like uh, it's not uncommon to lose three kilos of water during a session. You know what I mean? Like if we're grappling for like two hours and we're going hard, uh, 
and it's like 35 degrees, yeah, you're going to lose probably two and a half, three kilos. So, um, like drinking obviously a lot of fluid, but in terms of like recovery, I'm a big fan of like sauna and ice baths, especially, um, not just for recovering and relaxing your body, but I also like like the mental aspect of it because you can, you can push yourself mentally without causing like physical harm you know like oh if your body's sore you can still sit in an ice bath for 10 minutes and just endure it you know mentally because it's like a it's more of a mental thing than a perhaps a physical thing yeah that is that is correct because the mental when it comes comes to ice baths they've actually found that uh some recent studies that they did that that ice baths actually delay um muscle recovery uh, they are almost surely now becoming more of a mental thing. Do I think there is um, mental benefits to having ice baths? Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. But in because I've definitely been reading about it, obviously people have been reading about the Winhoff method and also, mm-hmm. been, you know, your, your body goes into a state of shock when you're in the cold and it helps control your breathing. And so psychologically, yes, I do think there's a whole bunch of benefits. But if you're someone who's actually trying to put on muscle, I've always told people to make sure you avoid it. Uh, mm-hmm. And for the pure fact that, when you step into obviously an ice bath, your, va- your veins vasoconstrict, meaning they're mm-hmm. reducing blood flow. And that's the last right. thing you want to be doing right now when you're trying to recover. So mm-hmm. that's that. But in terms of saunas, um, there's definitely been a lot of uh, benefits to those. Um, the studies are out there pretty exclusive. We've had a couple of, I had a nutritionist, Peter Miller, come on the podcast a couple of times, talk about the benefits of saunas. He recommends them for if you're in a fight camp as well and you're trying to, you know, get the benefits out. But purely for weight cutting reasons, they're not that great. He always recommends a hot bath, uh, mainly because um, the loss of sweat is a lot more slower. So it's going to have a, a le- it's going to be less damaging on the body. Um, right. What's the next thing I was going to say? Oh yeah. So sorry, you were going to say. I was just going to ask, like, as a trainer, bro, because I know you work with a lot of athletes and stuff at your gym, what do you think is the most overlooked part of, of training? Two, two things I've actually learned. Um, I'm slowly learning as well. Uh, when it comes to training in terms of endurance, um, the idea that just sparring alone is not actually going to improve your endurance in a fight-based situation you have to do lactic acid tra- uh, lactic um, tolerance training. That's the main thing. Also, mm-hmm. like for example, they do a lot of rounds on the uh, salt bike. That's one of them. And then also just training more specifically. So right. wh- one exercise I love to give to people who do BJJ is searcher squats, where you put a bar in between your forearms and then it's a wide stance because it replicates what you would do in a single leg or a double leg takedown. Right. Um, and also just because um, you, uh, what is it, again, in, again, more specific, you have to mimic movements and that, that, and that involves things like doing Bulgarian bags and devil slams and getting into positions you would normally get into, whereas just by doing bench press alone isn't going to help you that much. Um, right. So that's one thing that's overlooked. The next thing I think that's overlooked is just relying more and more on just normal foods like you may know this but every pretty much every single like uh friday these days under the sun is sponsored by a cbd company and 
obviously because they're trying to make money and all that, but there is a lack of studies to show that CBD actually does work or the stuff that you are actually taking actually has CBD oil in it. Um, that's one. And then the last thing I'm just doing is more looking more and more into just things like sleep um, and what it does to muscles. And then the last thing is try not to overdo it on caffeine. Now I can't actually pronounce the actual term itself, but there's studies have shown that when you have high amounts of caffeine, it can actually destroy your muscles. Um, right. Yeah, so that that was the other thing I was looking into. So those are some some basic things. Um, anyway, man. Uh, sorry, I just got a client coming in in a moment, so we just got to wrap this up before we head out there, man. But first of all, thank you very much for coming on, man. It was good to have you back. It's good to see you doing well. It's good to see you training hard. And of course, um, Jack, if anyone wants to follow you off this episode, where can they find you, man? Uh, thank you, bro. Um, I guess best place would be Instagram. Uh, Jack Ferguson125 is my is my handle. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, bro. It's always a pleasure to see you. Always a pleasure to talk with you. And uh, hopefully I'll be in Perth sometime soon. We could get a session, uh, get a session into the gym or something like that. Fuck yeah, man. But dude, if you ever ever in Perth, right, we'll get a session in and then we'll find a way we, we will be able to get an episode in the studio. So like finally have it in person, you know. Um, I record all my episodes at this like proper uh, recording studio. So it'll be nice to show you around. Well, cool. Yeah, that sounds great, bro. Well, uh, best of luck with your class right now and I'll see you soon, all right? All right, man. You take care of yourself. All the best, man. Bye-bye. See you, bro. Okay.